Blog Talk Radio. Hi there. I'm Mary Eileen Williams at Feisty Side of 50 Radio, and this show is a celebration of baby boomers who are embracing life as we grow older. And talk about embracing life. I am more than excited about today's show because it is a real eye-opener and something that is long, long, long overdue because we're going to be talking about the recognition of the divinity inherent to both genders. I rarely say that I'm honored to introduce someone, but this is certainly true of today's guest. I truly am honored to introduce Rabbi Mark Samus. He's an author and an essayist who has been named as one of America's most inspiring rabbis, and he certainly has inspired me. I'm not the only one because Rabbi Mark's research into the earliest worshipers of the Abrahamic faith, in other words, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, sheds an entirely new light on our most fundamental beliefs. I know you're going to wait to or can't wait to hear from Rabbi Mark, and he's going to share all about his recently published book, the name, a history of the dual gendered Hebrew name for God. Boy, is this a welcome conversation. Welcome, Rabbi Mark. Thank you so much, Eileen. Great to be with you. Well, and I've got to say, as a representative of the female race, we are thrilled that someone has finally come up with this. Uh, it is not only uh, long overdue, but innovative. It took a lot of courage for you to write this book, I'm sure. So give us an overview of the thesis of your book and how it really does challenge our fundamental belief in God. Well, um, the book is, um, is the story of the so-called lost name of God. Sometimes we see it in English with the letters Y-H-W-H or Y-H-H. VH. It's uh, the four-letter name of God in the Hebrew Bible uh, that some people think was pronounced Jehovah, other people think it might have been pronounced Yahweh. And in the book, I make the case that this four-letter name of God is actually composed of the Hebrew pronouns for he and she. And that's the big claim of the book, as you said, that the God of the three Abrahamic religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, was understood by its earliest worshippers to be a dual-gendered God. And in the book, we followed the name of God through the archaeological record, through the rabbinic writings, and we see how the pronunciation of the name and the meaning of the name were passed on uh, through the generations. And, and, then, and I also take a very close look at the text of the Hebrew Bible, where there are, the, a lot, there are lots, of, lots of hints that, uh, uh, that God is dual-gendered. Not only, I mean, this book is really fascinating, uh, but it's obvious that you spent years of research, uh, you compiled centuries of information, and then you turned it into a readable format so that we could understand it. Believe me, I'm no rabbinical scholar <laughs> by any means, but I got I got the gist of this, and it's just so fascinating. But it was true to me that uh, you were probably playing detective, and it was a true labor of love. That's true. It 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 was. Um, yeah, uh, and I I uh, I researched it. I mean, I started I started researching it um, 25 years ago when I was in rabbinical school, um, and I started noticing 
uh, as I'm going through the text and we're doing translations and, and um, looking at small sections of the, of the Hebrew Bible, I noticed a lot of oddities in the, in the, uh, in the Hebrew text. Um, and I wasn't, uh, I wasn't looking for anything in particular back then. I wasn't looking uh, you know, for anything in the text necessarily about God or about gender. I was just trying to understand why it presents in Hebrew with such, in such a very odd way. Um, and fortunately, I was studying at Hebrew Union College in New York City, which meant that I got to study with Rabbi Lawrence Kushner, and um, he, he's, a, he's a well-known, uh, uh, he's, he's actually in your area, Eileen, he's, he's in uh, San Francisco now, but at the time he was on the East Coast, and uh, he's, he's well-known uh, in the Jewish community and in the Christian community. He's, a, he's really one of the great spiritual teachers of our generation. I got to study with him, and he, uh, in the course of this class, he starts to show us how uh, to begin to unlock some of what the Hebrew Bible had to say. So that was kind of my first step in, and I just kind of extended the investigation. And uh, he would say, uh, uh, stay with the text, stay engaged. Uh, don't, right away people will say, oh, it's a scribal error, or it was uh, something... Uh, we'll never know what it means. He, he said, stay engaged with it. And so I just stayed engaged with the text, and I would notice this and notice that. And then uh, the clues began to pile up, and, and 25 years later I had a book. Well, And the clues are what were particularly fascinating to me. Of course, I love the outcome. But the clues, now did I get this right, that in early Hebrew the text could be read from left to right and from right to left? Um, from left to right, right to left. Um, there was even a way of reading. Um, uh, before, all of, before, the, uh, before it all settled down and we, uh, we had, you know, had our conventions in place, there were even ways of reading uh, called uh, as the ox plows. And you'd start... Um, on the right side or the left side, you go to the end of the line, then you'd continue in the opposite direction on the next line. It was, oh, it was all over the place. So that's true, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and you also said that in the earliest Hebrew Bible that uh, God was related to, in both the singular firm, uh, uh, sorry, case, and the, uh, in, in uh, both singular and plural, I mean, and dual gender. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, that was um, when I when I say I was trying to unlock some of the oddities. Um, <laughs> you're you're hitting on some of them right. There is um, is God is sometimes seems to be in the plural, sometimes seems to be in the singular. Um, uh, is referred to. Um, well, in Hebrew, Moses refers to God um, in Hebrew, which is a gendered language. So uh, Moses addresses God in the second person, masculine, singular, which is what you'd expect, but also in the second uh-huh. person, feminine, singular, which, which um, you, you, you wouldn't expect. Um, some of this is actually, it's, 
even if you're just looking at an English Bible, you'll see uh, some of this. So in the book of Deuteronomy, for instance, Moses refers to God as your father, which doesn't surprise us. And then a few lines later, this is Deuteronomy 32, a few lines later, uh, the text says that the same God convulsed in labor for you, gave birth to you, and suckled you. That, that's in the English. And so wow. right there, you don't have to know any Hebrew to go, that, that sounds like, uh, you know, that, that doesn't sound like what a male God uh, uh, would do. And then there are many, many more hints um, like that in the Hebrew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just thinking, I mean, once these clues started to appear to you, and I'm one of these woo-woo people that thinks you might have been guided just a tiny bit, but it must have been so exciting. Well, um, it was. At, at, at first, it was, it was just flat-out confusing. Um, before I kind of, before I had an inkling of what might be going on, it just was confusing. And when I say confusing, so you're reading in the Hebrew, and um, and all of a sudden Eve is referred to um, as he. And that, why is Eve referred to as he? And then after the flood. In the Hebrew, it says that Noah repaired to her tent. And then it says Rebecca, uh, refers to Rebecca as a young man. And none of this is making any sense to me at all. Um, And then you have this um, uh, description of Mordecai, um, who is said to be Esther's nursing father father, whatever a nursing father is, and then Isaiah says the same thing about Israel's future kings are going to be nursing kings, and I'm thinking, well, maybe I'm not understanding the translation. Maybe, maybe we shouldn't be saying nursing kings, but maybe it means something else, but then a few lines later, Isaiah, Isaiah adds, you know, so that we don't miss the point, king's breasts you shall suck. So, like, it's starting to dawn on me that, that this is really, um, there's something here um, that's being communicated, not very clearly, but it's, it's, there's something here in the text. And then it did, it did hit me at one point, um, um, I'm playing with the directionality, you asked about that before, and, and so I'm, I'm, reading, I'm reading forward, I'm reading backwards, there's lots of palindromes and the names that are, names that... Uh, like David in Hebrew can be read forward and backward the same way, or Nathan in Hebrew is spelled the same forward and backward. And then I, I flipped Moses's name, and Moses, um, when you turn, when you reverse the letters, becomes in Hebrew uh, Hashem. Well, Hashem means the name, and that's the way. That's a respectful way that many Jews will refer to God, uh, because Jews won't pronounce. Uh, uh, this name of God um, out of respect, but rather say the name. And then I'm, I'm looking at that and I'm saying, this, uh, you know, this really is, uh, this really is telling us something. And then it was, of course, many, many more years of study before I, um, I hit on uh, my, my thesis about it. Mm-hmm. 
Gee, Rabbi, I mean, talk about, like I'd mentioned, labor of love. This has to have been a passion, a love, male-female love, <laughs> nursing God love. I mean, my gosh, to spend the time and the focus on this. And then the other thing is you were writing it, as you said, and studying over a period of years, and you were probably at some level somewhat concerned about how your findings would be received, especially by those in the religious community, because this flies in the face of a lot of a lot of centuries of belief. So, how did that all come about for you? Um, it it um, it does uh, fly in the face. I I wasn't um, um, the the name of God in the Jewish community is. Um, uh, there's a tradition of not even trying to pronounce the name, and I I actually adhere to that. I don't uh, I don't attempt to pronounce this name, um, uh, but I um, uh, I wasn't concerned about the reception of the idea within my own community of a male female God because that's believe it or not. Uh, and and uh, I'm not even I'm not even sure how many Jews uh, 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 really uh, appreciate or how deeply they appreciate. But on Friday night, when uh, uh, whether it, they're conservative Jews or or liberal Jews, all over the world, the the Jewish Jewish Sabbath begins with um, a a ceremony of welcoming the male aspect of God and the female aspect aspect of God together in a kind of a symbolic marriage. So the idea of dual gendered God in mm-hmm. our tradition is not, um, uh, that's mm-hmm. not um, necessarily as controversial as, as we might think. Um, and, uh, uh, and so I was, um, uh, I, I was, I was very happy to have that, that notion affirmed, yeah. Well, and you also bring up in the book that uh, your thesis, I mean, has been likely to be far more accepted due to recent events, and I'm not that recent, but the women's movement, uh, the LGBTQ community, uh, for all these various uh, new looks at gender and sexuality, at all of these areas have made, kind of paved the way, as we say, to open up people's minds to this concept i really think that's it eileen i really if when i look back now and i think about the cultural revolutions of the 1960s and the 70s um and you know you mentioned i mean new age spirituality and um uh the lgbtq movement that started after the stonewall riot in 1969 and then second wave feminism and the founding of ms magazine our bodies ourselves uh, in 72 and 73. Some of your listeners may remember some of these, uh, oh, uh, these, these moments, but I really believe that that's what, I think sociologists have a, uh, call it the plausibility structure. It's all of a sudden um, ideas that wouldn't have been accepted before become, at least they become plausible, um, possible and plausible um, oh yeah, that that could be, and um, I mean I really should say, and I, I I wrote a piece about this very recently, highlighting this part. 
I'm not the first one to write on this. Um, uh, I mean, if we go back uh, in the 1560s, a non-Jewish French scholar by the name of Guillaume Postel wrote a book called the, a work called The Treasure. He was um, he was imprisoned uh, by the Vatican at the time, and so the, the work was suppressed. But he wrote about this, and then in the 19th century, there was an Italian scholar by the name of Michelo Lanzi, and he wrote a book in which he claimed that the four-letter Hebrew name of God was composed of the uh, pronouns he and she. And um, that book, it, it did get published. I think maybe three copies were, were sold, and then the Vatican officially banned it, which is its own interesting story because Father Lancy was the Vatican librarian. So my point here is that this is um, this secret, so to speak, that I quote-unquote uncovered has been uncovered before. It's been written about before. Um, there were newspapers, I, I go into this at the end of my book, but there were newspaper articles and magazine articles in, in America that covered the story of Father Lancy's discovery, and then it went away. And I have to think that it went away because um, people didn't know where to place this teaching. It, it was so at odds with what they felt and believed. And today we know from, we just look at Pew, uh, Pew Research, and they tell us that actually only a minority of Americans today believe uh, in a male God. More Americans believe that God is male and female, or, or female, or both, or neither. The people that believe that God is literally male, that's, that's the minority today. So the, the, the plausibility structure has, has, just, um, has just expanded, and people are, seem very receptive to it now, and, and I'm very, very glad for that. Wow. And Rabbi Mark, I'm thinking too, you did uh, write in the afterward, you spent quite a few pages uh, writing about Michelin Lancy, and I thought that was very generous of you. I'm going to be a little more selfish and say, first off, all those uh, recent events, uh, the women's movement, the LGBTQ community, and you were all boomers. <laughs> Our generation <laughs> has made a difference. I'm so thrilled about that. And um, really, no, I, I, I'm just so honored. And this, I'm thinking in two, three hundred years, maybe two or three years, we will look back pre your book and think those idiots that thought the world was flat. I'm sorry, not to use the term idiots. I don't mean to use that, but it's going to be so accepted. And as you say, it's already gained so much popularity, but it still must have taken courage to write this book, and I applaud you. So before we have to go, what are your thoughts as the author, as the reteller of this amazing uh, insight? How would you like your readers? What do you hope they take away from the name? That's a great question, Eileen. Thank you. Um, I hope that um, I hope that it helps them on their own journeys, because this is not about um, this religion versus that religion, or th it's. I really believe that there's there's a 
there's a teaching in here, there's an understanding um, that um, can find expression in any religious faith, um, in the secular world, in the non-religious world of spiritual growth. Um, And, um, I mean, for me, it's and we're living in such a polarized time, and for me personally, I think... um, one of the takeaways is this idea that um, uh, the philosophers call it the coincidentia oppositorum. It's the idea that seeming opposites sit together in creative tension within a larger, all-embracing reality. And so if we can think that way, that people are not, people that disagree with us are not necessarily are antagonists. We're, we're just coming at from, from different, slightly different places. And to understand that we share more, have more in common um, than, 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 than we have in different. And, to, uh, and hopefully that will be a, a way of uh, bringing a little bit of healing. I just had a hit. No wonder you have been named one of America's most inspirational rabbis. I got goosebumps on that. Thank you, Dr. Mark. I called you doctor again. I guess I'm just (laughs) Rabbi Mark, please let our listeners go where they can find out more about you, your work, and get a copy of this amazing book, The Name, A History of the Dual-Gendered Hebrew Name for God. Thank you, uh, Eileen. So um, there's more information about the book, and I've got links to uh, a number of articles about the dual-gendered God, um, where to order it, and contact information. All of it's on my website, which is rabbimarksamoth.com. So it's Rabbi Mark with a K. Samoth is spelled S-A-M-E-T-H dot com. rabbimarksamoth.com and that'll take you to all the places to order it and to read more about it. Well, and I have to say, uh, as someone who has become a huge fan, it is truly an amazing look uh, at, uh, and a right of, a, as far as I'm concerned, a long overdue injustice of history. So, oh, Rabbi Mark, thank you so much for sharing your time, your philosophy, and of course, your insight into this wonderful book and this whole idea of a dual-gendered God with us. Eileen, thank you for inviting me. I'm honored and it was a pleasure to speak with you. Well, it was my honor and pleasure, and I do urge Really, all of you listeners out there, whatever your religious background is, whatever your faith, this is a truly exciting and innovative, well, I guess not innovative, long overdue is a better term for that, uh, look at the very essence of what we believe to be God. Again, the name of the book is uh, The Name, A History of the Dual-Gendered Hebrew Name for God, and Rabbi Mark has uncovered and shared information that just might change the world and our entire outlook for the better. So until next time, this is Mary Eileen Williams at Feisty Side of 50 Radio. Say, I'll catch you later. Bye-bye.